and let it drop with the lightest bang just at the level of her right ear. Synth once told me that I looked better in profile, and I said that made me sound like I was a coin. But now it makes me wonder about my two sides, the arch impression I probably gave Pamela, the spare change of myself that no one yet had pocketed. The truth was, I felt so prim before a girl like Rudge. She knew no other blacks, she told me on the Thursday of that first week, when I replied that I hadn't known any either by that name till I came here. She looked completely blank. But despite the clunky dance with Pamela, I was ecstatic to be there. The skeleton was Eden. It was Mecca and Pemberley, the best of my dreams come to life. A room, a desk, a typewriter... Pal-mal in the morning as I walked from Charing Cross, a boulevard of golden light. One of my jobs was to transcribe research notes for academic men I never saw, except for their nearly indecipherable handwriting, scribbling about bronze sculptures or sets of lino cuts. I enjoyed this, but my principal duty revolved around a tray on my desk that would be filled with letters I was to type up and leave with Pamela downstairs. Most of the time they were fairly mundane, but every now and then I'd pick up a gem, a begging letter to some old millionaire or decrepit lady whatnot on their last legs. My dear Sir Peter, it was such a pleasure to identify the Rembrandt you had in your attic back in '57. Would you consider using the skeleton to help catalogue the rest of your wonderful collection? And so on. Letters to financiers and film moguls, informing them that if Matisse was floating around, or would they fancy a new room of the skeleton being named after them, as long as we could fill it with their artworks? They were mainly written by the director of the skeleton, a man called Edmund Reed. Pamela told me Reed was in his sixties and had a short fuse. In the war, he had something to do with recovering art confiscated by the Nazis, but she didn't know any more. The name Edmund Reed, for me, conjured up a quintessential intimidating Englishness. Savile rowers in Whitehall clubs, eat the steak, hunt the fox, three-piece suit, pomaded hair, Great Uncle Henry's golden watch. I would see him round the corridors and he would look surprised every time. It was as if I had walked in naked off the street. We studied men like him at school. Protected gentlemen, rich gentlemen, white gentlemen, who picked up pens and wrote the world for the rest of us to read. The skeleton was a bit like that world, the world I'd been taught that I wanted to be in, and just by typing the letters, I felt closer to it all, as if my help in the matter was invaluable, as if I'd been picked for a reason. And the best thing was I was fast, so once I had finished their letters, I used a spare hour here or there to type my own work, starting over and over again, scrunching up pieces of paper and making sure to put them in my handbag rather than leaving them like evidence in the waste paper bin. Sometimes I'd go home with my handbag brimming with balls of paper. I told Synth how I'd forgotten the smell of the Dulce's stock cupboard. 
It's as if one week can kill five years, I said, determined and rhapsodic about my transformation. I told her about Pamela and joked about the rigidity of her beehive. Synth paused, frowning, for she was frying me an egg in our tiny flat and the hob was unreliable. I pleased for your deli, she said. I pleased it going so well. On the Friday of the first week, Reed's letters completed, I was struggling with a poem in a quiet half hour. Synth had told me that the only thing she wanted as a wedding gift was something written, seen as you're the only one who ever could. Touched but agonized, I stared at the skeleton's typewriter, thinking how happy Sam and Synth clearly made each other. It made me think about my own lack. The foot, but no glass slipper.